Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. City, give it up for your host, Natalie Wall. Oh my god, hi, thank you for coming. And I have an amazing guest. I'm so excited. Every time I told someone who this guest was for the podcast, they were just like, oh my god, I love her. Like that was everyone's reaction. So, guys, please welcome Kelly Dunham to the stage. So low stress. I know. Sense. No, yeah, I love so low I, stress. I love an intimate, low stress situation. We're just going to talk about sex. We were talking about sex right before. Well, we were. condoms. Well, sex. I know, right? I'm like, what is the definition of sex? Right. I mean, yeah, that, that's an interesting question. And also, like, condoms can be used for different things besides sex. Yeah, water balloons. Water balloons. I, that's the only one I can think of. That's literally the only one I can think of, too. Um, before we, like, get into it, do you want to tell the audience about yourself just a little bit? I like, I like the audience to know who they're listening to. All right. So uh, my name is Kelly Denham. I'm a stand-up comic and a storyteller, and I used to be a nun, and I work in the public school system, and I'm a nurse, and I don't know what else. Oh, I just recorded a CD called Not the Gym Teacher, because everyone thinks I'm the gym teacher. <laughs> Uh, I literally said, oh, you teach health. And you were like, no. no. <laughs> uh, good guess, but no. Uh, I mean, I was, the thing is, like, it sounds like a slam, like, oh, not the gym teacher. But actually, the gym teacher is so much cooler than I am. Uh, yeah, she's way cool. So uh, I'm like the dorky version of the gym teacher, I guess. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, I can embrace my dorkiness. Speaking of Christianity, I actually had to go to a christening this morning. Ooh. Yeah. I know. It was a Renaissance Fair bachelor party yesterday and then a christening this morning but uh, and it was <laughs> me and my boyfriend didn't realize like a christening has mass and we were like no no but it was fine it was methodist so it was like because we have like bad catholicism trauma right and we were like i guess this will be better it was exactly the same yeah you know uh, what i found the trick is is to go to uh, a religious ceremony that's not in the language you speak and then you're like, oh, this is so nice. This is so nice. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, look, they're using incense. Oh, and they don't, nothing, you know, like nothing seems fucked up that way. You know, if you just want to have a religious experience, just go where they don't speak a language. You speak. How long were you a nun? Uh, so I was a full-time volunteer with the Missionaries of Charity, Mother Teresa's gang of nuns um, for like five years. And then I was a nun for two. Okay. And how yeah. old were you when you were like, this is what I want to do? Um, early 20s. Early 20s. Okay. And when were you like, this was a bad decision? I mean, 30 minutes inside. Really? really? Yes. Uh, I mean, they were clear. They, like, they kind of knew from the outset. They're like, oh, yeah, this isn't a good fit. But I had volunteered with them for a long time. And so they were like kind of willing to give me a chance. But their work is very different from the life in the convent. So oh, it's okay. very, super, super strict and very uh, bizarre. I mean, not bizarre old school emphasis on obedience, just like, oh, you're, um, the word of your mistress is uh, the 
the voice of God in all things but sin. So like whatever crazy ass shit they tell you to do, you had to do, right? So that was... I'm just like, what? <laughs> what was the crazy ass shit? Well, I mean, this wasn't the, the most bananas things, but we'd come home. We worked in a soup kitchen, so we'd come home from the soup kitchen at the end of the night, and they'd be like, okay, uh, today, sister, because we love Jesus, we're going to move the dining room into the dorm and the dorm into the dining room. Like, for no reason at all, right? Just to see. Because God like, wants it. Right, exactly. Like, just because, just to prove obedience or whatever. And even if I, you know, said, the only answer you were supposed to give is uh yes sister thank you sister which is you know that's bullshit it's it's so it's also it's so kinky right like it is a uh, little it's a little bdsm like yes exactly the overlap of like my life in the convent and like most of my romantic relationships (laughs) is pretty significantly overlapped that way like mistress was exactly the right word but anyway so you're just supposed to say yes mistress thank you to whatever bananas thing and often i thought they were kidding but then they said that even if i was uh, they said that i walked like my shoulders were angry so were you allowed to masturbate? Were there ever a nun that was like, no, no, no. Well, like, so, so you, masturbation in the Catholic church is a mortal sin, right? You masturbate, you get hit by a car, you're going to hell. Um, that's the way it works. So in fact, uh, well, first of all, the, the most of the nuns, the missionaries of charity, they don't, uh, they don't often come in with a lot of knowledge about their bodies. And so one, one week, the professed sisters, you know, the full, full-on sisters, um, went to a, what do you call it, a, a natural birth control, you know, week where you learn about natural birth control, what, like, like the, rhythm put, me- the rhythm method. Oh, I was like, you put garlic up your pussy? Like, what, <laughs> uh, what That would be natural? an improvement, right? The, nat- the natural method, which, like, leads to people having, it's, you know, rhythm, based on rhythm. And you have to have, like, there's, you know, 20 days out of this month, you can't have sex, blah, blah, blah. But what it ends up being for, for nuns who don't really know their own bodies, it ends up being, like, sex education for nuns. Wow. And so we, I had the sister I always cleaned one of the shelters with. She came back and she's like, so the clitoris, is that the woman's one? And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Um, and so, you know, I like talked her through like the different parts. And she's like, that's the part that feels good. And I'm like, yes, that's the part that feels good. Uh, and so then later she was like, oh, I, yeah, that is the part. That, and I was like, I just taught a nun to masturbate. Like that's. Or she already was and just didn't realize like the terminology. May, possibly. Because possibly. that's what I said to like my parents when I was seven. Oh, that's the part that feels good like this is a grown adult being like oh yeah I mean I I think it's probably it's possible it was the first time she'd explored but also I mean just like men have like boys stop having wet dreams when they start masturbating right like you'll still have sexual dreams Mm -hmm. if you don't masturbate especially um and you wake up in that way so maybe she'd experience it that way as well maybe I don't know uh, but yeah, you weren't supposed to masturbate. And also there was no time or place. Like we got dressed. Okay. So we all stayed in a dorm all together. Like my, my bed was only like that far from the next person. You had to plan on what side of the bed you were going to get out and end up on your knees because otherwise you would literally end up on the person on top of you. Right? Oh my God. Or you would end up on the person on top. Um, <laughs> and then we pulled sheets. Okay. So, oh, so the bell goes off 440. Um, Uh, rings five times by the fifth ring you're supposed to be on your knees on the floor and then like you stretch out your arms see so how much bdsm uh you stretch out your arms and you're saying you know in union without the cat through all the catholics um union all the masses of the catholic world today i offer you my heart i have not ever said that in a podcast so please feel uh or even on stage so uh and then um you, you pulled a sheet over yourself to get dressed, which was just ridiculous. A, there were no lights on, 
It was 440. There was no light from outside. So it's not like anyone could see anyone else's No, you could absolutely not see. And also, everyone was so exhausted. Like, nobody was having a sexy thought. You know what I mean? I was barely (laughs) having a coherent thought at 440 in the morning. So it was like this great fear. And then also, like, we never had any time either. You know, sometimes I would, during meditation, I would fantasize. And then I'd have, like, two minutes, like, in between the time we went to meditation and we had to be, like, upstairs doing our housework. And then I could, like, quick go to the bathroom. But I had to fantasize the whole time so I'd be almost there. And then, you know what I mean? Which did help me stay awake during meditation, though. But it also meant I was, like, sitting two feet from a huge bloody crucifix of Jesus, like, you know, fantasizing. And those crucifix are graphic. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's six packs and there's blood and there's a bulge. And it's just like his death is like in your face, but it's still also kind of sexy. Like, yeah, I don't know why. There's definitely the Venno diagram again of uh, crucifixes and like sexiness (laughs) is pretty significant, significant as well. So when you um, left the would you call it like the nunnery? The convent. The The convent. convent. Yeah. Yeah, The moment I left like any type of religion, like all the words left. Just dropped out of your head. But once I was in like that that mass this morning, I was like, I hate this is all rushing back. I know all like the things that I have to do. But that doesn't matter. Um, Did you just go straight like into BDSM? Were you just like, I know what I like. I know what I love. Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I didn't really figure out I was gay when I was there, which is just ludicrous, but <laughs> since they had figured it out, clearly. I truly assume that you just, like, knew and you're like, it's time for me to leave. Uh, no, no. I mean, I remember there was a time, like, there was very, like, uh, at night before we went to bed, we all stood around a, a statue of Mary and there'd be a candle in front of it, and uh, that would be the only light you would see, and we'd, we'd sing the song to Mary. And I remember looking around and thinking, oh, my God, I get to spend the rest of my life with all these beautiful women. And then it occurred to me, <laughs> maybe that wasn't what I was supposed to be thinking about, you know? Um, so I should have known. I should have known, but in fact, I didn't. Uh, I left the convent, really, because uh, I started having my period, like, every day for six months. Oh, um, oh God. And I was just, like, completely anemic and... Uh, um, and also I had been held back as a pre-aspirant for, um, a year and a half, which is oh. like failing preschool 18 times, um, because of the lack of, uh, docility and too much self-esteem. And, um, <laughs> so they, they knew that it was not going well. And then I was like, oh, do you think I should, you know, go home and get myself together? And they're like, yeah, let us think about that. Yes. You know, there was no, like they didn't wow. even pretend that they had to talk it over or anything. They're just like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm so surprised, honestly. I feel like, cause so I went to Catholic school from fifth to eighth grade. So eighth grade, my sex ed was given to me by, um, I'm going to change her name, Sister Anne. And Sister Anne was a- In case she's listening to this podcast, you you just changed her name. she's enough of a cunt that she would. Yeah. um, Because she was, she was an asshole. But our sex ed, there was like two separate conversations. One was, the first one was like, because, okay, wait. So it was, our graduating class was 14 kids, 12 girls, two boys. So it was this weird ass like cat fight over these two boys that did not deserve our attention. And then a few were definitely lesbians and didn't realize it yet, and taking out on the girls that like the boys. <laughs> and then, so the first one was like, stop it. Stop what you're doing. You're 13. It was like, there's no reason to date. The only reason to date is to procreate. You're dating to find the person you'll marry to have more Catholics. So that was talk number one. And then talk number two was like to all the girls and was just like, you should be nuns. All of you should be nuns. <laughs> and they were just like, it's, it's a great experience. You're going to love it. Just be a nun. And so... I, they wanted all of us so badly that I'm so surprised to hear that they'd be like, no, no, don't do this. Well, there was somebody who left the mission as a charity before me, about a year before me, that 
ended up in the kind of in the same group in Philadelphia. And apparently the nuns came looking for her in like a van. And then when, when I left, my friends were like, I don't notice any nuns in a van looking for you. And I was like, well, that's, there's probably a reason for that. <laughs> it's like a kidnapping, like the worst. <laughs> You're going to kidnap you for Christianity. Uh, yeah. And I also think that, um, I mean, one of the reasons the missionaries of charity are growing is they do have this very, very strict life. Most American um, women don't persist with the missionaries of charity. Uh-huh. Of the six that started with me, none of them are none of them are still nuns. Uh, wow. In fact, one of them, I was performing in Ann Arbor and I looked at the back and I was like, wow, that person looks so familiar. And she walks forward and I was like, holy fuck, that's Sister Carmel. And she's like, I don't go by that name anymore. You know, it was just like one of my group sisters. Wow. Yeah. Where Where were you when, uh, when you were a nun? Like what state or what? Um, uh, 125th Street here. Oh, wow. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. It's still 125th Street in Convent. Um, I can't believe they still run a women's shelter as gentrified as that area is. They still run a women's shelter. Wow. Yeah. I had, okay. I had no clue. Okay. And so, yeah, talk, if you don't mind, talk, can you talk me through like kind of what happened afterwards? So you're just like, like, were you lost? Were you confused? Were you like, I don't know what I wanted? Like, cause you went from none to kind of like comedian, you right. know, like it's a, it's a, not that much of a jump, but it's, like, kind of great. It's why there's not a movie about this yet. Like, I don't know. Why is there not the BDSM nun? Like, that has to be a porn. I mean, I, that I, I would watch. It's definitely a porn. It's definitely a porn. <laughs> um, if you Google, yeah, if you do Google the right things. Uh, so, well, I rem- okay, so I left. I remember my mistress, Sister Anjales, bless her little heart. She was just so glad I was going. And um, <laughs> she, we went to Port Authority, and she's just tapping her little foot on the ground. She's like, well, where do you want to go? Standing at the Greyhound station. And I was like, well, I don't know where I want to go. I thought this was, you know, it's very dramatic. You, like, give up everything, and you're going to be married to Jesus. And then you're like, oh, I guess not anymore. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. you got a the divorce. entrance is very dramatic, but the leaving is a little, like, <laughs> um, and so I got on the Greyhound to Philadelphia because that's where my sister lived. And I was like, I don't know where else to go. Um, and I was sobbing. The woman next to me was just like, are you, oh, you know, I mean, people cry a lot on Greyhounds. That's not that unusual oh, uh, no. behavior. But I feel like I was probably the only person on that bus who was like, I wanted to be a nun. I wanted to be married to Jesus. And it didn't work out. <laughs> like, is she okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, um, so I stayed with my sister for a little bit. And then, um. I was staying with like a friend of a friend while I got a job and, you know, got a therapist and a cat and all that. And I remember um, where I was. In fact, I still mentioned it to my sister. She's like, I know this story, Kelly. Thanks. Every time we go by, <laughs> I remember I was walking from like the, where the bus dropped me off um, to the house that I was of a friend of a friend. And I was like, oh, 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 I'm gay. Oh, that explains so. Oh, I'm gay. I just Oh, I thought other people. No, I'm gay. Oh. And it was just like that. And then also because I had struggled with it for so long, kind of subconsciously, there wasn't a lot of, you know, a lot of people like, especially who were raised very religious, have so much guilt, but then there just wasn't really, I felt like I had such a hardcore, I felt guilty about everything experienced that I was just like, oh, obviously I'm. And then also one of the things was, uh, I felt like, oh, I was definitely, I mean, I left the convent because the kind of precipitating factor was that I was, we were cleaning the women's shelter, still mm-hmm. women's shelter on 125th or 127th. And uh, we didn't use disposable tampons, right? So we used like, basically they were, it wasn't even like the cool environmental way. We just wadded up 
a uh, like a baby's diaper and put it in, you know, like a non-disposable diaper and put it in our underwear. That is horrifying. Right. And it was just like, so you had to clean it by hand and it was just oh awesome. So like, also I had my period for like, you know, six months. So I was cleaning the women's shelter and there was a tampon on the dresser. And I was like, I think I'm going to borrow that tampon and put it in my pocket. And I was like, Kelly, you're not borrowing a tampon. You're, <laughs> you're going to give it back yeah, afterwards. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I don't know, like who I am, but I know who I don't want to be. And that's a woman, a person who steals a tampon from a homeless woman. You know, like that was kind of like, I was like, okay, I know. So I think at that moment I was like, okay, I need to be in a situation that allows me to be good. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. um, that that's working against, like I still want to be a decent human and to be in an environment that makes me not be a decent human like that's well, any environment that gives you a diaper and tells you to clean it over and over again with your own blood is like it wanting you to be bad. Like it's like trying to like tempt you to like do bad things, I feel like. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of the like that is kind of that part of that specific charism of Catholicism, right? Is that you um you know, everything you do that's horrible, you're offering it up and it helps Jesus on the cross. I don't really understand exactly how that works, but you know. There's what, that connection. Do you have, like now in retrospect, like a favorite lie you were told? That they were like, no, this is a hard fucking truth. A favorite lie? What do you mean? So my favorite lie was we were told, they were giving us the like scenarios of sins, and they were like, all right, you went into Best Buy, and you wanted to, to steal the new vitamin C CD, but a security guard walked by, so you stopped and you went out because you got too nervous. Guess what? You still, still sinned. sinned. Yeah. And I was like, that's bullshit. I did <laughs> not actively sin because I walked out. And they're like, no, no, but you thought about it hmm. long enough. And I was like, this is a lie. And also, like, animals didn't have souls and they went to hell. How, why'd they go to hell if they have souls, if they don't have souls? I don't know. That's just yeah. what they told us. I mean, they should at least go to purgatory or where the babies go. Where's that? Uh... <laughs> that was the best part of the christening this morning. It was like, the baby's name is Jack. And they were like, Jack, you died. But now you're alive again. And I was like, you just put water on his fucking head and, and made him cry. Like, it, what the hell is this bullshit? If anyone, like, is religious, I'm sorry, but it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so favorite lie. Well, I mean, I do feel like the whole thing of, like, offering up suffering instead of fighting against suffering. I mean, there's something to be said for if something is hard, like, working through it and figuring it out. But also, that is such a way to control people, right? Because mm -hmm. if everything – I mean, I, I actually feel like the, the – um, there's some areas in like the far left of like this manifesting, right? Like the idea that you manifested suffering and that's why you're like, oh, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. I thought negative thoughts and then, you know, um, you know, my dad died or something. Yeah. Um, and there's like kind of a similar thing where it's like, well, you know, whatever you experience, God sent it to you and you should just offer it up and be cheerful in all things. Like those are kind of, they end up being kind of like similar and they're just excellent ways to control people. You know, if you think that all suffering is your fault, then you're not going to fight against the suffering, even though it's often, you know, um, it's often caused by like a greater problem in the system. Yeah. So it works very well for the system, not so well for the individual. Yeah. I yeah. mean, a little mind blown over here. I didn't even really think of it that way. Yeah. Wow. Would you say you're still in any way religious? It's an, it's an interesting question. I mean, uh, my girlfriend always says, like, if you don't find, if Kelly's missing one day, she's at the convent still. <laughs> uh, and I will say that, like, what I, what I was looking for them there, I am still looking for, right? Like wow. uh, community and meaning. And I find it like very much in many parts of my life. And I do feel so lucky to have the kind of life I have now where I get to do, like I get to be a comedian and do, uh, you know, other stuff like that. And then also like I work full time in the school system in a place that I do feel like I'm 
if not doing good, I'm mitigating bad at least, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's the best you can hope for. So I do feel really lucky. So that's kind of like, you know, my spirit, I will say my spirituality is I try not to be an asshole. Um, I respect that. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward through all of that. Now you are in the school system. We were talking about earlier, you took like an eight hour class to give out condoms, but they're, they are um, oil based, right? Well, the condoms, the, the condoms themselves are are like just in regular condom lubricant. It's the actual lube they give us in the packets. That's it. Okay, yeah. the lube. Okay. Yeah, so the lube they give us in the packets is glycerin-based. And I was like, oh, I can't really... Uh, so you take this class, and it allows you to give out condoms as part of your whatever. You're allowed to keep condoms on your desk and give them to kids who ask them for you, ask you for them. Um, but the uh, lube that they give us is glycerin-based, which I was like, I don't think I'm good. First of all, nobody's ever asked me for lube, ever. Uh, I was about to ask, say, like, <laughs> if I was in high school, I would never ask a teacher. I'd be so embarrassed. And so there's no place, like, in the school that they can just grab them? Well, there is not supposed to be. They can also ask, like, the nurse. But also, I'm not a teacher, right? Like, okay. I, they don't see me every day in the classroom. Um, so... Uh, I mean, they do not seem embarrassed at all. Sometimes they seem a little proud, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, I'm mostly giving them to the boys, right? So okay, they're sure. like, oh, yeah. Um, or sometimes this is very exaggerated where they like take like 30 of them and put them in the pocket. <laughs> I'm like, you can take as many condoms as you want. They're like free. I don't pay for them. And I bet they'll get used for good someday. So. Like, even when I was like, before I had Obamacare and I was use, uh, using Planned Parenthood, which I love, they're amazing, they do great work. I was even embarrassed to grab condoms from their little bucket. I'd always like, like literally run away and not even take as many as I wanted. I take like three and I was like, what, what is this for? Like a, a day? Like what was, what was my plan here? Um, like I just can't, I'm a little jealous of the boys at this point right now that they have like the gumption to be like, yeah, give me those condoms. Yeah. I mean, it's not all of them. Um, and it's interesting. The girls don't come to me. The girls go to a female guidance counselor, but in gen in general, um, mm -hmm. I, I think also there is something about like, um, I mean, for me, right, like, I'm obviously a queer person. Nobody's mistaking me for heterosexual ever. Uh, so I think that maybe that helps some, too. Like, that they, even though they might not be able to, like, put a word on it or whatever. And, I mean, I have a picture of my girlfriend on my desk for the specific reason for the queer kids, right? I do yeah. that for the queer, queer kids. And the other kids are like, oh, is that your sister? Obviously, it's not my sister. We're like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> it's ludicrous. But uh, so maybe there is something where it's like they just feel comfortable. I don't know. That they are surprisingly comfortable about about questions. Yeah. Surprisingly. That's cool. I yeah. do um I nanny and the boy knows they I've been with them for a long time and they know like about my show, they know what I do. So I get really intense questions from them sometimes and it's truly one of the coolest and scariest experiences of my life. Like this week he was he's twelve now. I've known him since he was four. He was he two wow. questions he asked was one, how do you kiss? And I was like, Oh God. There's way too much, like, there's too much here. I don't know even where to start. I, I don't know. And the other one was randomly, he started talking about Caitlyn Jenner. And he was like, Natalie, I just don't get her. And I was like, where is this going? And he was just like, how can you be someone like Caitlyn Jenner and not be for gay rights? And I was like, okay, cool, Oh, cool, yeah, cool. wow. That, that took a good turn, right? I know, right? <laughs> and, then he was, and then he was like, I don't know, like, not out of nowhere, because we're talking about Caitlyn Jenner. And he was like, can you be transgender and straight? And I was like, of course you can. Because I was like, because gender and sexual orientation yeah, are two, two completely different, different things. things. And I was just like, what is your health teacher like? And like, he hates him. He was like, last week, he was like, my woman's sick. 
And I was like, I love that you're a 12 year old boy and you hate that, that you think that's fucked up. So it's like a really, I like seeing the new generation, especially with boys. Cause how old are the kids that um, you work with? So high school. So, you know, like 14 to 21. Okay. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a difference from when like you grew up? Like from, they feel different from when I was in high school, the boys at least. Yeah. I mean, it's very different. You know, I grew up in rural Wisconsin and I work uh, at a school that's 85% like Caribbean of this generation or the last. So, and I also feel like because I'm white, there's such an otherness to me in general, mm -hmm. right? Um, that they absolutely will name. I was just thinking of, we had a, the other day, we had a bunch of milk. They have to give us milk with every snack they give out. It's ridiculous. The dairy, the dairy, <laughs> the dairy industry is very powerful, and the kids don't drink milk at all. And um, I'd put some milk out, and uh, I was like, "Oh, do you want to take a milk?" And he's like, "Nobody's going to take that milk, that white milk." And he's like, "No offense, Miss Kelly." <laughs> I was like, "That's fine. None taken. None taken. Uh, I'm not identified as white milk, even though that's probably pretty accurate." So I feel like we grew up in suffering, even even though when I, the things that their parents say to them are often kind of things my parents said to me about, like you know, there's more to life than being happy. You know, it's like very much uh, new immigrant, uh, rural Wisconsin. Those are very similar uh, sentiments. So I think there is some difference, but I definitely see, like for example, we had. Um, yeah, I definitely see there was a situation in which there was a kid coming out um, as trans and the adults and the kids got it way before the adults. The kids went with the, wait, what did you say your name was? Okay, whatever. And then the adults were like, oh, I don't know. The kids, it's going to be really hard in the kids. It wasn't the kids. It was the adults. Yeah, the adults yeah. like really cling on. I had a conversation with someone that was, who's older than me. I would say like maybe almost 50. And they were just like, I just don't, why do they have to say they? Like why? Why do we have to go by these new, these new pronouns? And I literally was like, does it affect you? Oh, it doesn't? Like shut the fuck up. Like Pronouns why? are very expensive apparently. If yeah. you give somebody the pronoun they want, it costs you like $10,000 each. Who gives a fuck? And also like, don't get me wrong. I'm always... All of a sudden, once I find out someone has like a different pronoun, I'm like very aware of it and I fuck up like three times. And I'm like, this is me. This is all me. I'm so sorry. But it's just like, I'm not going to sit there and be like on my high horse of just like, it's he, she, it's say them. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Like, where <laughs> do these, like, I don't know. I, could, I rant about this forever because I just don't get it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's often people who aren't having like satisfying sex themselves or have sacrificed Ooh. a lot to not have, right? Like, uh, I think of like evangelical Christian, I was raised mostly evangelical Christian. I had to convert uh -huh. to Catholicism, it's a whole nother thing. But um, it's often people who are, their whole lives, you know, like they didn't have sex with anyone until they were married. So they got married to somebody uh, that they'd never had sex with. So there's like all sorts of things there. And then also believe that you can only have sex with that person, right? That for the rest of your life, that's all you can do. Um, and also in a certain very prescribed way. And that creates a certain kind of life without a lot of options. And yeah. I just feel like people are like, well, I don't have any fucking options. You shouldn't have the options you want either, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so sad. I mean, yeah. you're right, though. It is a lot of unsatisfactory sex, which is why you should always have sex with a person before you get married. Honestly, on the first date. Like, just, like, figure it out. Like, it's fun. It's awkward and weird. And it's fun and stupid. Like... I feel like in queer dating, we have sex first and then go on the date, you know? And I like, think that's yeah. smarter. Yeah. Like, get like get the dirty work out of the way, you know? Right, right. the awkwardness. And, right. Yeah. Because talking is actually, in much most situations, is less awkward than fucking, you know? Oh, my God. It takes me, I was saying this on a show, like, a couple days ago. It takes me a full month, like, with be with that person once a day for 31 days before I fully feel like I can open up. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I am the most awkward piece of shit ever. Like, I'm just like, hey, 
Like, I can't emote. I don't know how to, like, I'm very bad at improv. Like, that's, like, what a conversation <laughs> with me is. It's a lot of, like, no budding until about 31 days. And then I'm like, oh, this is great. I love all of this. Like, this is amazing. So like, you're right. Like, the talking's way harder. But the sex is great. Like, put me in, put me in, coach. Like, I can do this right, straight out the gate, you know? Yeah. How did you meet your girlfriend? Uh, so the girlfriend I have currently, um, so we met, uh, so I had two partners in a row that died of cancer, right? 2007, oh, died of cancer. Oh, I'm never going to love anyone again. Oh, I fell in love again in 2009. 2011, she also developed cancer and died. So um, yeah, I was, was kind of a mess for a while. Oh, my, I wonder uh, why. <laughs> you know, I was just saying, I actually, my cat died in December, and I, was, I went to look at kittens at Petco before here, and I started crying with the kittens, and I was like, oh, this is like... Like after my partners died, like if I went on a date and cried, I knew I wasn't ready, you know, similar thing. Um, so I dated um, Marcy, my girlfriend, um, in like 2012 for like nine months. And it was very, I just wasn't ready. Yeah. You know, I was like too much of a mess. But I always thought like, oh, I wish we could have gotten our timing right because we we're very good together. Um, but it just wasn't our timing, wasn't right. But I'd always in the back of my head, I was like, oh, Marcy, she was, she was a good one. And uh, she lives in Western New York. And um, after Trump, the election, after the Trump election, a bunch of my friends had Trump panic weddings, you know? Oh. Queer, queer Trump panic weddings. Um, and uh, people were asking me to officiate. I'm like queer secular clergy or something. I don't know exactly <laughs> what that's about. But uh, so I was, a friend had asked me to officiate her wedding. And uh, I had kind of forgotten somehow that she was very good friends with Marcy. And so I arrived, and she never mentioned Marcy, and we arrive at the wedding, and I was like, I see this person across the room, and I'm like, hmm, she looks like my type. Uh, <laughs> um, and then she got closer, and I was like, oh, it was Marcy. And I was like, oh, she really is my she type. She was my yeah, type. Uh, so they had also seated us at the table together. Um, Were they doing like a little matchmaker situation? I think so, yeah. Aww. I think so. So, um, so then uh, I followed her to the bathroom, uh, well, well, I followed her. There was a line. And so we were both waiting in the bathroom. And she's like, what are you even I was like trying to talk to you. She's like, what are you even trying to do? And I was like, I'm trying to flirt. And she was like, <laughs> okay, good. Good to know. Good to know. That wasn't <laughs> obvious. I wasn't sure what was going on, but good to know. Do you remember what you were saying? <laughs> like she didn't know you were flirting? <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure I was talking about like, you know, the people at the table or like they seated us also, I think, with some socially awkward people. So we kind of had to like be the social glue for ah, it. Ah, that's frustrating. So we were maybe talking about that, but I don't know why I thought that was, I think weird things are sexy talk, you know, um, or maybe like. No, I was talking about the apps on her phone. That's what I was talking about. I was flirting. Yeah, I was saying that they should all be in folders, and I was, like, trying to, you know, which is, like, ludicrous. Also, she's <laughs> such a bossy person. The idea that I'm going to make her put her apps in folders, like, you know. So uh, so uh, at the end of the night, I was like, I would, you know, maybe we should, like, I know you have, like, maid of honor or whatever, um, bridesmaid duties, but if you want to, would you want to hang out tomorrow? And she goes, yeah, yeah, uh, text me. Um and so I texted her in the morning and I said, oh, okay, would you like to have brunch or should I bring you donuts at your hotel room, right? So I was Ooh. like, just to make it really... Uh, make it very clear. Very clear. And also to give her an out if she's like not interested in that way at all. If she just wanted to like have a nostalgic talk. Um, she was like, donuts in the hotel room, please. <gasps> yeah. And then that's was kind of... That yeah, was we've it. been dating. That's like three years now. So, wow. And it is very, very different than it was the first year, which I've never, I've never really done the thing where you date somebody and then they're... But it was like eight years, seven years. Um, and I'm very different. I'm like much more healed and, uh, you know, I'm still, you know, it's still, I, it's not easy to date somebody who's lost two partners. You know, it's like, it's, uh, I mean, I feel like she should belong to a support group a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, like if, 
you know, she doesn't return my text. I just assume she's dead, you know. Um, <laughs> so she's very, you know, she's very generous about that and very generous about because if you have like both both people, we're very public people. Um, and so there's like, uh, like Cheryl, my last, my most recent partner who died, um, we posthumously published her book. Oh, okay. um, and it won like awards and stuff. And so there's still shit you have to do. There's like, and then also the, the person previous to that, she was like a burlesque dancer who was like uh, very, um, started uh, the West Coast first like fat burlesque uh, group. And so they both have like a lot of public life. And so there's still things I have to do. And also there's so many people who come up, like I can be on a date and they'll be like, oh, I knew Cheryl or oh, I knew Heather. So like automatically I'm having that discussion. And plus like every you know, like I have a whole show about Heather dying and, you know, so there's a lot of like dead girlfriend paraphernalia in my life. <laughs> uh, and she's very patient with it. You know, I try and I try to be sensitive, but um, she's like, well, I know you're in love with me. So, you know, you're just like, I know you're in love with me. And that's, that's true. Yeah. So. It's not like you can cheat on right. her. That is exactly what Cheryl partners. said about Heather. She was a, you know, lifelong New Yorker. She's like, I ain't jealous of a dead person. You can't <laughs> cheat with them. <laughs> Do you, um, do you have any advice for grief? Like, again, I feel like not the same, but someone in my family died in August and um, I truly hated them. Like, it's no joke, like truly, truly hated them. I really thought it was going to be a cakewalk. And then when it happened, um, I was like the only one in my family that was willing to admit that it was hard and that I'm grieving. And then I also was kind of given shit for, like I got yelled at the funeral for crying like type of shit. This person was also an awful human being. Like I, I cannot st stress that more of how terrible she was to all of us, but that's not how you should ever, like you shouldn't fuck with someone's grief. What I wasn't expecting was how fucked my sex drive became. Mm. I have a very high libido and like for a full month I was like, I've got nothing. Like it's just cobwebs. I the thought of even looking at porn, like I look at porn like daily, like I love it, it's great. And I was just like, no, like I can't do this. It took a long time to get back to like what is considered normal for me. And that was when I really wasn't expecting. Like I knew it was gonna be hard. I knew I was gonna be depressed. Once I realized I was grieving, I did not realize that sex would be such a, would be hit so hard with well, the sadness. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense if uh, you have a high libido and, for example, you do a podcast about sex and, you know what I mean, and you mm -hmm. watch porn daily. So that it makes sense that the part of your life that is, I don't want to say primary, but something that, like, is a place where you put both value and energy, of course that's going to think the thing that's going to be hit. Right? See, I would have never thought. Like, I don't know why I never thought of that. Yeah. But you're right, 100%. Yeah. So if it were, like, maybe if you were, like into uh i don't know carpentry or something if carpentry was like oh i watch i watch woodworking shows every day and i have a podcast about woodworking and um i have a very high woodworking uh you know quotient or whatever that would be maybe the thing that uh -huh. i mean myself i will say that gay men taught me kind of the whole thing of like often grief makes you horny because you just want to feel something else and uh huh. the gay men from my i went to a, a grief support group at the at the lgbt center and the gay men, like, are who actually took me to Fire Island, are like, um, you gotta, you gotta, like, start having sex with strangers. Right, at, like, right after yeah. they're like this. And do you feel like it worked? Do you feel like it helped? Uh, well, yeah. Well, one thing is, I was having sex with men, so that was like, uh, that was also it was good. Like, they were having sex with me, and you know, like, I look like a, you know, like I look like not like a twink, but my face looks like a young boy, not boy, but you know, 
like a 22 year old boy or something like that. So, uh, the, you know, like this mouth around a dick to them, like, you know, I was sought after, let's say it that okay, way. Right? Okay. So that was very good. And also it just didn't remind me of my partners at all. Right. It was just so different. It was so having different. Bare se- having bare sex on the dunes at, at Fire Island just felt completely different, you know? And it also gave me a moment where it was about something else and they didn't know my story. And, yeah. You know, it was actually kind of, it was kind of beautiful. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, because then like you don't have you don't have to give anyone any backstory they don't want to. Right. There's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And also like you know I don't know, not exactly lesbian because I'm not. Anyway, as a queer people, like definitely as assigned female at birth, queer people often we you know I have this I have my tattoo has which was designed for me by Heather. Um, it has her ashes in it. Oh. Um, so we just mixed up the ashes with the black ink and then it, it's filled in with her ashes and. Like, I really felt like that was a very important thing to do when she first died. And I was really hap- happy with it. It was meaning very meaningful. And then I was like, shit, I'm like about like six months later, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm never going to like, I'm never going to have sex again. And then I was like, oh, women love that shit. Like, that is not, like, <laughs> yeah. that is fine. Maybe it would have been different if I was trying to date, date men, but women love that shit. Be- also, it's just like such a way to connect, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, somebody would be like caressing my chest. And then like, I'm like, oh, well, actually, you know. Because you have to tell the person if they're caressing that part, like you can't tell them later, you know, it, it feels like a trap. Because it is such a very specific thing. It's like, oh, this person's skin is like on me. It's like, oh, the ashes, the literal ashes. Do you feel like sex changed after losing your first partner and then the, and then your second partner? Um, well, I was older, so that's one thing. Um, now I'm going through menopause, so that's like kind of its own special thing. Oh, but, God. Um, I'm very dreading menopause. Well, I mean, actually, there's what, what it made is just like I don't have a sex drive, but we just schedule sex. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. we just like are like we are going to have sex. And I'm like totally turned on by Marcy. I think she's like very hot. There's no problem there. I just like even I don't even want, like I don't even masturbate that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, and I, I think that it will return. Most people I've talked to says return after you get done with menopause. But I just like, once I was aware that that's what was going on, it was fine. Mm-hmm. But before that, I was like, oh, am I depressed? What's happening? Like, like what's did wrong? Did somebody die? Am I sad? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's uh, like your new signal that someone died. <laughs> your libido is gone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but so she, uh, Heather and I had a very specific, she was very sexual even at the very end of her life. Um, like I can remember her being so sick that she would like take a breath in and I'm like, Oh, I hope there's a breath out. And I can remember her like, like reaching towards me to have sex. And they're thinking like, what the hell? <laughs> and then, then like, what the fuck is going on here? And the next day when we went to uh, the hospital, her social worker was like, is, do you have any questions for me, Kelly? And I was like, indeed I do. <laughs> uh, and she was like, well, you know, Heather's a very sexual person and she, that's just going to remain until the end. So as long as you're not hurting each other, because uh, I felt like may- maybe like, I don't know, I'm worried about consent, but she was actually, you know, like she was start, she was starting. Yeah, she was initiating. Yeah, exactly. She was initiating, but it just seemed like, uh, uh. and also because nobody talks about fucking six hours before you die, you know? Wow. Did you guys fuck like six hours before she well, died? Well, it was like 10 hours, but. Whoa. But, but she, uh, we were living in Oregon and she used the assisted suicide law to take her own life. So. Oh, okay. Okay. So it was, it was scheduled. It was totally scheduled. You had scheduled yeah. sex and you had a scheduled yeah, death. Exactly. You know, exactly. I. I love this girl. This is like truly how I want to live my life. Like I want to know exactly when I go. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to talk about. Is it weird to talk about like in like this type of capacity where like people are going to listen to it later? Like, I mean, I talk about it so much now that it's kind of my, you know, I did, it's my thing. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, I feel like comedy about tragedy is like that. That's my niche, you know? Um, 
but also like the more comfortable I get with talking about it, the less less difficult it is to kind of interact with it in a public way or whatever. Um, you know, sometimes like if I need to slip it into conversation, like it's a logistical thing, like, oh, wait, why did you move from Portland? Uh, partner died, blah, blah, blah. You know, like uh -huh. that kind of thing is sometimes a little awkward, but performing about it. I mean, you know, uh, I feel like people know what they're getting into. So <laughs> yeah. if you ask Kelly Dunham to a show, she might be making, there's an extra normal video I have that I made about like, uh, it's just like the bears. Remember the bears talking to each other, the extra normal videos that like with the thing. And it's, uh, oh yes. Uh -huh. so I, I have a video where it's like, my name is Kelly Dunham. I'm a very funny stand up comic. Um, my partner died and the person is like, uh, I am talking to you in co uh, conversations so that I can laugh. And then it's like me going through all the tragedies. And then at the end, they're like, uh, I just remembered something I have to go do. <laughs> that was like my entire 2013 was just, you know, uh, and the comments on that on, on YouTube are like, wow. You know, we're just like, damn. <laughs> like, like, it's like, it's brutal. It's so brutal. Um, but I always feel like, well, if I'm going to go through it, we're all going to laugh about it. And yeah. also it does like, you know, I used to feel bad when people would cry when I was performing. Uh -huh. um, but I'm like, well, I, that is just as much, that is just as much impacting people as making them laugh. You know, oh, we're trying to get yeah. them to laugh and cry together. Um, that's like, you know, it's a little bit of a trick. Um, and I think better, you know, like in 2007 when Heather died, you know, I've been performing 12 years since then. So I'm actually better at, at uh, performing about it too, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm more skilled. And so I think that helps as well. Of course. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a hard pivot because oh. why not? I don't know how to transition to this beautifully. But one of my favorite questions to ask my guests is what is your favorite porn or the porn that you've like watched this week? Oh, right, right, right. Uh, so my favorite porn is gay male bondage porn by far. Okay, okay. Uh, um, and I have watched it all. Like literally, I mean, uh, I think I've watched every single thing. My favorite ones are the ones from the 90s, the Tom Ropes McKirk um, it's very specific. <laughs> yeah, they're so grainy now because they're like all VHS tapes that somebody I think just took their camera, their you know phone, and just filmed off the TV. Uh, but those are my favorite. Uh, and also, I mean, I like gay male porn in general because it does seem like people are mostly actually enjoying it. Yeah, it seems yeah. very consensual for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember porn before the internet? Or I'm sorry, do you remember porn before DSL? Yes, I used to. Um, when I was living in Philadelphia in the 90s and 2000s, I used to um, go to Blockbuster and they would have, <laughs> well, there was a Blockbuster and they didn't always have what I wanted, but there was a Spruce Street video um, that would, or TLA video in on Spruce Street in Philly and I would rent um, two regular videos and then a porn. Just to like hide what's going on. I mean, I don't know so much. I was like, how long, how long can you watch porn for? You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's what I used to do with condoms. It'd be like condoms, DiGiorno pizza, and a douche. Though I knew I was never using the douche, and that actually made it look worse. I don't know. For some reason, I was like, no one can know that I'm like, I need to be protected. I don't know. I was so, I was so like embarrassed by that, which is in retrospect, the dumbest thing in the world. Is there any porn that you've been like truly shocked by? Mine is legitimate clown porn. Like the makeup is everywhere on all the body parts that you're just like was not expecting this. Yeah, I don't know if I've accidentally found clown porn. How did you? Don't. Yeah. Don't. Like it was always sent to me. I never yeah. looked for it. My friends thought it was funny to give to me, mm. and I think it was funny for them. It wasn't funny for me, but it was a little 
a little jarring. I also find just clowns very scary, so that's probably part of it. But I was just like, I can't mix these two. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like what it will get. I would say like whatever people like whatever noun there is in the world if you put play after it that exists right? oh yeah like you know plastic cup play or whatever yeah um, follow play right exactly I think I'm more surprised like if I go to you know like the uh like if I go to a sex party I do always or a, a play party I am always amazed by how much energy people put into like, I watched a blood splatter scene where, <laughs> where the person had, like, literally covered all the walls with, like, you know, it was probably an hour and a half in the setup, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I was like, who the hell? I Like, I just, like, I love that this person wants to do this and there's other people that want to do it with them and they found each other. You know, that's, like, beautiful. That I mean, is that love. You know, that's, I don't want not to yuck anyone. Yum, that's not my thing, but... I am so happy that these people who love blood spatter and want to do it in the most extreme organized way fucking found each other. That's beautiful. I also love how much you made that a teacher moment. Like, don't yuck my yum. Like, that is such a teacher phrase. And I loved that. And I want that to be the title of this episode, Caitlin. Don't yuck my yum. Even though it comes at the very end. Um, we, we just got the light. Is there anything else you want to say before we end? No, I had, this was a uh, fascinating, of course we ended up talking about death. I'm like, whatever. You're I know. I felt so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so no, this was really fun. Yay. Yeah. Oh my God. Kelly, thank you so much. And you, can you say the name of your, um, your album that you just recorded right, one more so time? So the album is called Not the Gym Teacher. Um, it's coming out February 7th and, um, right now I'm planning, uh, a tour around it. Um, I'm doing, it's going to be called House Concerts for the Resistance. So anyone, not anyone, but I'm working it out. Um, I did a bunch of house concerts while I was previewing, while I was working out the show, and it went great. And so, pe and people use them as uh, fundraisers for um, fundraisers for progressive causes. So um, I'm offering people like a kit if they want to bring me to their house or whatever, um, or their skateboard ramp or whatever is appropriate, or whatever they have. <laughs> it may or may not be appropriate. Uh, um, you know, I have the whole kit they can download, like the flyers and everything, and then they can fundraise for whatever like resistance cause uh, that they they want. So I'll be going to be doing that um, in the Northeast, and then uh, probably in Texas and Florida during winter break. Amazing! So, yeah, yeah. You are excited. truly an amazing soul. This is why everyone was like, I love her. When like I told people, like Calvin Cato was like. I love her. I love her. She is amazing. Kelly, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for coming. This thank was such a great yeah. night. Um, yeah. And what's your social uh, socials? So it's at Kelly Dunham everywhere. So it's K-E-L-L-I-D-U-N-H-A-M. Perfect. Instagram, and you can, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can follow Kelly there and Awkward Sex in the City at Awkward Sex in the City on all the social medias. And guys, have a really good night. Thank you. Thank you. Go upstairs. Go drink.